Want to know how a 200-person agency reduced churn by 50% from one year to the next? You see, even though Hawk Media is one of the most successful marketing agencies in the U.S., and they've scaled to hundreds of millions in annual revenue, their journey hasn't been without bumps in the road. At the beginning of 2022, they saw client churn on the rise, and their CEO, Eric Huberman, knew he had to adjust their strategy to address this new challenge. In today's conversation, you'll hear Eric share how they created intense focus throughout the agency to reduce client churn, the role of incentive structures and systematic churn analysis in their impressive churn reduction, how they retrained their sales team to head off churn earlier in the client lifecycle, and ultimately what they realized was the number one KPI impacting client churn based on systematic AI analysis. To start, let's hear as Eric explains when he knew his agency had a challenge to address in the first place. The beginning of 22, as most people know, like that's when everyone started talking about like, oh, we got to cut back, like, you know, oh, the rates are going up, the economy, things like that. And we're like the canary in the coal mine. So it hit us really fast. And so we dealt with the, for the first time in our business, people actually like decreasing budgets. We weren't used to that. Like, you know, and we've been doing this now a decade, but at that point, eight years, and we were always growing companies and they were always growing and then reinvesting and building more and building more. And all of a sudden, all our budgets started getting cut, not losing clients, which again, we, you know, as an agency, you do lose business here and there, but like we, it was our same clients, but spending less. And so it was a whole new uh, ball game. And so we realized that we really had to start building more long-term partnerships with clients because for eight years, the phone was ringing off the hook all the time. Everybody wanted to find new ways to grow. We could do project work. We could do all sorts of flexible work. And not that we've gotten away from that completely, but an emphasis and a focus on how do we keep relationships for a long period of time and get more used to the ebbs and flows that happen with those businesses versus our ebbs and flows happening because of onboarding and offboarding clients. That was a really big focus. And we started sort of this marching order of never lose a client and ever. And like, not that that was actually obtainable, but at least that was the focus. And, you know, for a big organization, you kind of need to simplify an effort like that versus like make it super complicated and a bunch of like, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this. It's just like, here's the target. Like, that's what we're going for. And now from all parts of the organization, let's figure out what that means and how people feed into that. And it worked. We cut our churn in, in 22 and 23. Like it was pretty remarkable, actually more hit in 23. But the efforts, I mean, our sales org started signing clients that were going to stick around versus like, yeah, just come in, work for a couple months, whatever. We got a lot more people that were sticking our team really was a lot more focused on like, what do we need to do to keep longer clients? Like as much as that should have been the case the whole time, the emphasis really did a lot for making the business focus on that. And again, it literally cut the churn in half. Wow. And I imagine you're looking at the churn from an MRR, ARR basis rather than a per client basis. And that was cut in half, you know, year over year is what you're saying? Correct. I know being part of an agency there for a while, the power of having that simple rallying cry, we made ours churn sucks. And we actually had like a picture of a sucker fish that, you know, we had a graph as we were tracking our churn month over month. Tell me a little bit about how you decided to roll that out. You know, I was part of an agency that was much smaller than you guys at Hawk Media even two years ago. It starts with a simple message, but then starting to operationalize that and push that one message throughout the organization, but also, hey, these are the metrics. This is what that 
means because you need a simple message, but then it has to be backed up by how are we actually going to operationalize this message? Otherwise, it just becomes kind of something that everybody says, but then what does it mean when the rubber meets the road? So what did those next steps once you simplified the message and started to cascade that through the team look like? Uh, bonus structures, changing measurement, changing management meetings to talk about it. If we did lose a client, putting a heavy hand on why, doing research, having meetings about it, it was really like managing to it, emphasizing it, making sure that it was a very important part of the conversation constantly. And it starts from the top. I intentionally would question every piece of churn we had. Why? What happened? Why can we keep it? What's the answer here? And like sought out to make it better and better and better. Again, you're going to have churn at an agency almost no matter what you do. It's impossible. I have looked at some of the, you know, best agencies out there, they're sending three-year contracts, they're still churning clients in under three years because they find an out or they go out of business or whatever it is. And we work with a lot of small and medium businesses that run out of money that don't, you know, like I, we, we always like, we are way outpacing what the market does in terms of longevity of clients, in terms of like those businesses even surviving, because frankly, there seems to be a positive correlation with hiring us and staying in business. But there's still businesses that just don't end up working out. The product doesn't end up having a market fit, whatever. And so there's reasons we can't control. But if we lose a client for something we did wrong or we can control, there's a lot of attention to that, a lot of discussion, you know, and emphasizing that forces people to really want to focus on that. And when you're focused on things, I notice, especially high aptitude people, which thankfully we have a lot of, it works, like it goes well. So it was really just causing a focus and keeping that focus. And, you know, I believe culture trickles down from the top is the best way to put it. So when I started really leaning into it, then my executives lean to it, then their managers lean into it. And it kind of tr- it trickles through the whole organization. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the culture piece there, because one thing I I think other agency owners and leaders could think is, okay, we place this emphasis and like anytime we lose a client, we know there's going to be a retro. We're going to follow this, this process. We're looking at this metric, you know, hard questions are going to be asked. How do you do that in a way where you don't ruin the culture, where it doesn't feel like, oh, I can't say anything that I've done wrong because there's going to be a witch hunt for who really caused this churn, right? When it is a mistake, we're looking for how do we back that up. Now, listen, it's it's also you can't hide in the sense of like, you turn a bunch of clients as an employee here, it's obvious. But if one thing happens now and then and it's a mistake, we look at good employees that make mistakes. They all, everyone, I make mistakes, we all make mistakes. We look for like, how can we fill that gap so those mistakes are harder to happen? Is there something that we have? And like, we've gotten really good at that. How do we support you more? What do we need to make sure? Like, it's we don't come at them like, what'd you do? Like, that's, it's the tonality thing too and a way of going about it. but. It's, you know, and I will say it's not perfect. Self-reported churn, like what happened? Like you're going to get people like, oh yeah, they ran out of money. And then you look into it. Like, they didn't run out of money. Like you, we dropped the ball here and that happens too. But we do usually do exit interviews on the client side. We do like, again, when there's an emphasis on that and everyone from the leadership down wants to make sure we don't churn and their bonuses depend on it. A lot of times they want to figure out how to not lose the next client. So they're open about it too. Yeah, you touched on the the bonuses and I want to talk about that. And it sounds like there's there was a heavy emphasis for you guys, which probably led to the success of the alignment in the incentives all the way down to the client services teams that are working with the clients up to the executive level. Before we get there, though, I'd love to get tactical on anything that you guys have learned in, like you said, it maybe it's not a perfect process, but you guys have figured out maybe some things that work and don't work in doing these retros and doing the customer exit interviews. What tips would you have for folks that say, hey, I'd like to, you know, kind of follow suit here. And I think we might be able to achieve, you know, some positive movement and when it comes to our year over year churn as well. Yeah. I mean, again, I think the secret to most 
business ownership is simplifying things. Like, yes, there are a billion different reasons why you're going to lose business and blah, blah, blah. But like, start with the biggest buckets, start with the lowest hanging fruit, start with the big swings and like the biggest effect. Because if you're like incrementally trying to optimize things, like we talk about this all the time, even on the marketing side, like if you're doing a hundred grand a month and you're trying to optimize your conversion rate to get 1% extra conversion, you just made a thousand dollars. How much time did that take you? Like you go work at McDonald's. So like, or I guess McDonald's has to pay well in California now. So whatever doesn't have to pay well. But the point being like, you have to make sure that your attention, I think like, especially as the leader are on the big slogs, the big moves, not incremental little improvements. So true. I think uh, it reminds me of something I've heard Craig Groeschel say uh, on his leadership podcast. A leader's job is not to get as much information as possible to make the best decision. The leader's job is to get the most important information as quickly as possible to right. make the most impactful decision. And I, you know, maybe a bit of a stretch, but I hear some correlation in that advice and the wisdom that you're sharing too. Yeah. It's the way I, I mean, that's getting more into how I run Hawk in general, but that's exactly it. I have a, the dashboards, the most critical KPIs that I need to know on a daily basis that help drive where I need to pay attention to and who I need to work with and what I need to add to and where we're getting the opportunity, like where things are going well that I can reinvest into. Like, well, this is working. How do we do more of that? And that's part of it too. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that dashboard that you've kind of refined over the years and the key KPIs that you're looking at now as the CEO of the agency. Because I think there are a lot of agency founders that kind of, they run on gut, they run on feel. Agency owners are inherently optimistic, right? So they're also, I mean, if you're running on gut and feel though, you're probably going to, you're just doomed for anxiety too. Because without clarity, like then you have irrational fear of the future. If you're, you know, it's good to be optimistic. You can't be permanently, nobody's 100% optimistic all the time. And so having reality takes out, it really quells anxiety, which again, I'm saying that because I hear from so many founders how anxious they are, anxious they are in it all the time. And it's like, well, if you know what's going on, good or bad, there's nothing to be anxious about. If it's bad, it's bad. You're not fearing the future. You're already there. Like that doesn't cause anxiety. Actually, it causes stress maybe, but then you know what to do about it if your business isn't performing like it should, et cetera. So like, you know, but I don't have one dashboard to be clear. I've got, honestly, our financial reports every day, our sales reports every day, our churn report every day. And those, I think that basically encompasses, and then we have some projection stuff like projected expenses, projected sales that we do edit on a pretty frequent basis to see like what spikes and values we know came in because of certain effects. So- mm-hmm. All that together is really what drives it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a conglomeration of things that makes up, you know, that virtual dashboard, so to speak. But I can look through all of those within two minutes, get an idea for where we're at and decide what I need to do from there. Like, oh, our expenses are too high. I need to go focus with the finance team and see if there's some things we need to hold back, you know, or we need to cut or whatever. Or sales is slow. Like, okay, I need to go talk to them and like work on what are we doing there? Where are we missing? And I have, there's data below that but at least it allows me to know where do I need to focus and where's the low hanging fruit and then go focus on that. And then when I see everything going right, that's when I'm working on other stuff and expanding and growing off, you know, because things are going well. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you're green, green, green here before you start to go, Exactly. you know, chase that other greener pasture uh, to keep going with, uh, with the analogy there. Yeah, the worst thing to do is throw a bunch of other stuff on your table when the sort of core business isn't right. Like that's how you drive yourself nuts. 
Yeah. And drive your team nuts, right? As a, a visionary driven entrepreneurial agency owner. Something you mentioned earlier, Eric, I want to circle back to is you were talking about, you know, not trying to optimize, you know, the small little things that actually aren't going to move the needle a ton, even if you really perfect them. And we opened up talking about some of the shifts that you guys made beginning of 2022 with this mantra of never lose a client. What were some of the big shifts that you guys made when it came to maybe adding or removing service lines? AI became a huge thing really in 2023 over the the last year or so. Mix of full-time employees and contractors. What were maybe some of the things that came out of this emphasis on how do we never lose clients? Okay, we're focusing the team on that. But then what things changed maybe operationally within the business based on some of the things you started to look at from a data perspective? On the operational side, again, it just became a focus. Like, think part of the problem was, again, the phone rang off the hook for eight years. And so we would lose clients sometimes and the team would be like, yeah, okay. Like, we have the next one coming in. Not a big deal. It was a cultural thing. And not that I, you know, it wasn't like so far that it was just flippant about it, but it wasn't emphasized because like we also knew our team's working hard. We don't want to stress them out and put more pressure on them, you know, So it was like finding the right tone was a big part of the operational side and sort of the culture side, which again, I keep emphasizing culture because that's all it is. Once it became part of our culture that we want to keep our clients all, you know, and like do more to keep them versus like, you know, do good work has always been a big part of what we did. We always did great work, but it was like, I don't want to say that's where it stopped, but there wasn't that extra step of like, we can't lose a client. It was like, it'll happen was more how it was handled. You know, it happens. It's okay. Moving on. And I was like, let's not have that tone. Let's, And not, and so finding that balance of like, no, we don't like losing clients and no, it's not about beating the person up when they do, because it's going to, it is going to happen. But, and so it was finding that balance, which I think when we started emphasizing a little more, we, we did actually achieve that where it didn't see people end up being like stressed about it. It was just more of like an effort and a focus. Mm -hmm. And it was finding, finding the way to do that was tough, but we feel like we did hit it. Yeah. Yeah. And then over the last uh, year or two, what have been some of the things that you guys have changed? Have you made big additions to service lines or things like that, added or removed different things that you had been doing or hadn't been doing up to that point? No, we we honestly, it was, again, it was more just an emphasis than adding services or adding different things. It was more, you know, our sales team looking to set it up as a longer term relationship and like from the get go, you know, we had the, and we even changed like a lot of our taglines and everything were like a la carte month to month, like super flexible. And we started changing even that language because it's like being flexible and we're still flexible, nimble, we're still a la carte. But the idea of selling month to month, like making that a part of our pitch, it's like, listen, if someone wants to fire us after a month, like, but like, it's ridiculous to set up a relationship that way. Like imagine, you know, going on a date and being like, you can break up with me next month. Like, like, that shouldn't be part of the pitch. And so... Why are you saying this to me right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Helped in the very beginning when we wanted to prove ourselves. But now, like, the proof's in the pudding. Like, we don't need to lead with that, you know. And if there's someone that really needs some short work, we can do it. But now it's more about, like, emphasizing the overarching marketing strategy and how this can play out as a relationship. And so that's part of it is just starting the relationship, which is took time to really click in. It's like just starting it off that way. And then from there reinforcing that, having our team reinforce the idea that it's a long-term relationship and not having, like we were dealing with people that would have a bad day and fire us because we're month to month and just be like, numbers are off today. I can't, I shut it all down. And it's like, we, we kind of assisted in setting the expectation that that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. And so shifting that really helped. 
What were some of the things that maybe surprised you, Eric, as you guys were looking into, okay, why this client left, or maybe there was a recurring theme of like, well, this is happening, but if we make this little tweak, this is actually something that we can impact that actually doesn't relate to the quality of the work that the person managing the relationship was actually, you know, doing poorly at. But there may be some of these small tweaks we've talked about, you know, changing the way you talk about the relationship and the sales process. Anything on the delivery side, maybe surprising trends or things? Yeah, same thing. Speaking long term, honestly, number one reason we lose clients response rate. When we track all this through AI now to get emphasis, you then get our ops team going, well, how else can we help with churn? And everybody starts looking at that as an important number. And we're able to plug in some AI that can show us the different reasons why we're losing. And number one was if we don't respond to a client quickly, regardless of what the performance is, if, you know, a person, you know, we lost a client a few weeks ago and we looked and two other people had gone on vacation one after the other. So they think that, for, again, it's a lot of emotions in people. They're not always rational. Like their performance was great, but they just felt like they're, you know, if they could all go on vacation, then there must not be that much work going on. And that that's the kind of stuff that can lose a client. And so how do we handle that? What do we do? Because like, obviously our people need to be able to take vacations. So it's like, what are better ways to make sure that that's communicated in a way that they feel like they're handled? All those kind of things that like, you know, and the the challenge of running a business is you'll set up processes that are like, this is what you do in this situation. There's a whole nother step of people actually following those processes that you have to fight for. Hey there, it's Logan with Teamwork.com. I wanted to take a quick timeout from this conversation to ask you just a few questions. Are you an agency leader looking at the year ahead with concerns about AI, inflation, employee turnover, and client retention all at the same time? Are you curious how your peers are managing similar concerns and thinking about the path forward? If so, I've got some good news for you. Teamwork.com recently partnered with Audience Audit to get Gather responses from over 500 agencies around the globe into a comprehensive research report, the State of Agency Operations 2023 edition. And to make it easy for you as a regular listener of Agency Life, we've linked to it right in the description of this episode. So if you want insights from fellow agency leaders about how they're managing profitability, employee utilization rates, the use of new AI tools, and over-servicing clients, check that link in the description of this episode and access the 2023 State of Agency Operations Report today. All right, let's get back to the rest of the conversation with today's guest. The challenge of running a business is you'll set up processes that are like, this is what you do in this situation. There's a whole nother step of people actually following those processes that you have to fight for. Yeah, for sure. And I love that you bring up, you know, the emotional nature, especially of agency life and doing client service work. I think it was, was it uh, in the five hour work week where he said, you know, sir, I found out that services suck and I, I just wanted a product to ship. Like I was tired of dealing with emotional customers and, yep. and those sorts of things. And I think we can all relate to that in client emotions. So I'd love to hear more about the AI that you guys are using to analyze the response rate. Is that because I know you guys have started something new around AI. Does it have to do with your own development there? No, no. Our own thing is all about marketing optimization. I mean, it helps customer retention because it helps us perform way better as a marketing firm. But no, it's a tool that like monitors core communications and just pulls out like keynotes like response time or and we just add tags to it and basically train the AI on what to look for you know, certain verbiage and how that correlates. And we're constantly educating ourselves on, oh, look, 
these are things that are actually causing more churn. We need to look at those, that kind of thing. When you say response rate, are you talking about like from the time a client sends an email to when their account manager, whoever it is, responds? And that is the metric, right? If we don't, they don't feel like we're on it and on top of it, that emotional part really People use logic to justify emotions. If they feel good about you, they're going to find every reason to feel good about you. If they feel uncomfortable about you, they're going to find why. And so if by not responding, you feed into this worry that people have with service businesses that they're not on top of it. And then they start looking for all the other things that aren't done and finding problems. It's And by the way, I don't blame them. I do the same thing with companies that are service business. If I can't get a hold of someone I'm outsourcing something to, it's like, what the hell are we doing? And so. Then I start looking for all the problems and trying to figure out, am I right? But I'm looking for it. So there's confirmation bias. Yeah, absolutely. That comes into play for sure. I've been on the other side of that where, you know, the agency I was a part of, we were, you know, booking podcast guests for their podcast. And, you know, there was a little bit of a slow season in getting responses. I don't know if it was over holidays or what the the issue was. Might have just been, you know, a lack of enough volume. But then it was like, well, and, and this graphic, and then, and this was, you know, came in in the afternoon and it normally comes in in the morning and it started to get very nitpicky, but it started with, you know, that perceived lack or actual lack that then, like you said, now they're looking for everything else that's wrong. Right. Exactly. I know when you, when you have like the basic checkboxes done, like as a, especially founders, when you're dealing with founders, like they want to know it's handled. They feel like it's handled. They're good. And you'll have them for a long time. At the moment, they feel like you're not on top of it the way they want you to be, which not being responsive is a very easy way to instill that fear. Yeah. I did some training for our account management team within the agency at at one point. And kind of along the lines of of this was one of the things I see, especially in client services, is if you get a question that you don't know how to answer, you need to look into, I need to go check their, their dashboard and Google ads or whatever the case is. It can be tempting to not respond until you have all the information. And one of the key changes I I started training the team on was respond and let them know, hey, I heard you. It's going to take me this much time to investigate this and get back to you. There's a difference between that initial reply, which you need to do very quickly, and the actual full response. And it's okay if that comes in a two-step process. So I'm curious if any kind of tweaks like that came out of the way you guys are training your teams in this responsiveness, like you said, the verbiage, some of the things that the AI has been telling you through that analysis. That is what drives the training. It's like, well, basically when we get flags, we tell the team immediately, like, and they know know what's happening now. So it's not like big brother that they don't know exists. It's like the idea is for this to assist with how you need to be working with our clients. And so it's all about, that's where training comes from. You know, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Eric, is in addition to being a successful agency founder yourself, you've founded Hawk Ventures and you guys are are looking at companies that are looking to, to grow and you're kind of analyzing them and assessing out the situation. What are some of the KPIs or the, the core metrics that you look for when you look at, hey, is this business healthy? Does it have the potential to scale, especially for those, you know, agencies or other service-based businesses? Because I think some of the folks listening here might be able to take kind of what you're looking at from that perspective and say, okay, I should start thinking about reverse engineering that based on what someone's looking at from the other perspective. Yeah. I mean, for if we're buying agents, so we have Hawk Ventures and then we also acquire agencies. So I guess they're yeah. different things. So which one are you speaking to? Yeah, I would say more on the agency acquisition oh. since most of the audience here, are agency owners are running consulting firms, that sort of thing. I'd say the things we look for, gross margins are huge. 
Like, can you actually charge enough that it makes sense as an agency? Like we see a lot of agencies undercharge, whether it's because they don't have the right offering, they don't write, have the right pitch, whatever it is. But that makes a, it's really hard if your margins are thin at an agency. So we, with the right gross margins are super important. Again, retention. Are they keeping customers? Are their customers happy? That's another really big one. And then their people. Are their people happy? So it's mm-hmm. like, do they charge enough? Do they do good work? Do they have happy people and happy customers? Like, it's, yeah, it's really that simple. And yeah. if that all checks out, it's pretty easy to figure out a deal. Yeah. And do you look at any certain benchmarks when it comes to gross margin or does it really depend on the type of agency? We just had Ryan Watson on the show last week uh, from Upsourced Accounting, who works with a lot of agencies doing fractional CFO work. And one of the things he said is, you know, gross margin is one of the key metrics of the top five that he sees. So very much in agreement with you. His opinion is, but you can't just benchmark and say, well, it should be 30% or it should be this. It depends on the type of work that you do. Do you kind of take that into account as well as you look at agencies or what are your thoughts? I disagree with them. I love a hot take. Go for it. <laughs> it's, it's, I have this debate even internally where I believe that you should have the work that justifies having the margin you need to run a good business. And if you can't charge a certain amount for your work, that shouldn't be an offering. That's how I've looked at it. So when people tell me like, oh, well, there's no way we can make those margins. Like, this perfect example, I, I just had this conversation last week with a founder where it's like, you know, they have 50% margins. I'm like, you should get them to 70. They're like, we can't get to 70. I'm like, you can't sell your product for 20% more than you are now. Like, that's what we're talking about. Like, your price is that inelastic that like you, you can't change your price by 20%. Your business would be out because if you can increase that 20% is all margin. That's all profit. So like, you can't do that. You have a problem with your business. That's my view of it. Like we're not working in a commodity industry. And so, it, you know, the idea that you can't have charged because you do the quality of work and have the reputation and the marketing pitch and all that, that allows you to charge that. If you can't do that, you're going to have a really tough time running a, you know, 30% margin business. That's impossible, not impossible, but not fun. What did they say to you when you asked them just point blank? You, you can't increase it by 20%? It's a good point. It's literally what they said. It's like, yeah, that seems simple to me, but it, I've been in that debate many times, again, internally and externally. It's like, well, no, we can't reach that margin. And I'm like, why not? Again, it's if you're providing value for that price, it's not just about your cost to what you charge. It's like, it's about the outcome. If you do good work, your fees don't matter. Like most businesses hiring a marketing agency, if they're focused on your fee, you're failing. You're not doing good work. Your fee should be that big of a factor. Well, Eric, before we get to our fast five and our closing section with our good shout, as we always do here on Agency Life, is there anything else you want to call out for other agency owners listening to this, thinking about, you know, the pivots they've tried to make, how, you know, they've tried to adjust in 2022, 2023, and maybe what they should be thinking about looking ahead for, you know, we've got over three quarters left in, in this year. Any parting words you want to add there? I've just found that there's a lot of humps to get over and like the, you know, getting past sort of two to four million mark, that's when you have to start building all your HR and internal functions and accounting and all that. That's a big hump to get over that a lot of times we're better off building a platform for them. And that's been good. And if you can, like, it's really every founder and every agency has kind of its sweet spot where you get to a growth level and some keep going. Like, thankfully, we've been one that's grown and grown and grown, but there are stages of agencies that you see over and over again, where a lot of people get out between, again, like one and a half and four million, there's a hurdle. And you get past that, you'll get to 
10 to 15, there's another big hurdle and another layer of executives you need and real size and real jobs. And then you can get to, you know, 30, 40, and then there's another one. And it's like these, the, and I'm talking about big ones. You also have a ton of stuff to work through every time you double the size of the business. It's always crazy. But these big hurdles of sort of ceilings and plateaus that you talk about, that's where I've seen them. And it's really comes down to like the infrastructure you need to run that kind of a business. And a lot of times that's a good time to get a partner, get out those kind of things. So, you know, this year I'm cautiously optimistic. It's, you know, been a slow couple of years in general for marketing, but I think we're, you know, people are getting a little sick of talking about a impending recession for two years. So I think we're at a point now where maybe people start being a little more optimistic and, you know, shrug it off a little bit. And that's my hope and my, what I'm sort of frankly managing towards this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, with that, let's jump into our fast five, Eric. Uh, we're going to hit you with our rapid fire round. Let's say right now you had an extra 120K for the business, just extra budget, and you could apply it any old where you want to. Where do you think you would put that extra capital right now? We're doing it right now. We're scaling our sales team and we're we're scaling our sales team, building more on our AI system and uh, scaling our M&A side. Okay. Awesome. Number two, what are some of your all-time favorite business books that have helped you as an agency founder yourself, Eric? Uh, my favorite is uh, Appetite for Self-Destruction by Steve Knopper, which is about the music business's failure to innovate over time and continue to just basically screw itself up because like, oh, CDs aren't going to be a thing. Oh, digital music isn't going to be a thing like that kind of thing. So very much why we built Hawk AI is I read that book when I first got out of college and just stuck with me about like, you have to constantly disrupt yourself. So that's a big one. And then we wrote our own book, Hawk Method. It was basically Modern Marketing 101. And that's been a big driver of everything here. I love that. You're adding some new ones. We've got a growing list of book recommendations from every episode here on Agency Life. And those are all brand new additions to the list. I love that. All right. Number three is my favorite of our fast five. Eric, what's one mistake you've made in running your agency that you're never going to forget? Yeah, it's going to be at the end of the day, I have great executives, great leadership here, great team that have been with me a long time. And this, there, none of them, this is anywhere close to as important to as me. And so expecting any, and I've heard Gary B talk about this too, like expecting anyone to work as hard as you, expecting anyone to care as much as you do is ridiculous and not from a standpoint that they're doing anything wrong either. It's like, I own the thing. You know, if this fails tomorrow, I have to completely reinvent myself. They have to get another job. So like mm -hmm. knowing that, understanding that. So it's almost a trust, but verify where like, there is no scenario that you get to, you know, bounce and take right off into the sunset. Like you got to be on it. You got to be working. And there can be, you know, a harmony there and an ability to like have fun too. But the idea of like you build the team and then you just get to check out doesn't exist. And, you know, I'm not saying I've made that mistake in light ways a few times where it's like, no, 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 you got to be on everything. You have to have a window into everything because even small things like, yeah, we just booked this guy. I remember what did we have this discussion last week. Yeah, we just sent someone to Phoenix for the night from LA uh, for 1500 bucks. Like, well, the plane ticket was $600. I'm like, from LA? Why? Oh, well, we went with this time instead of, I'm like, okay, so you could have spent 200. And what hotel are they staying at? Oh, we put them at the W. I don't even stay there. Why? Like, it's <laughs> like, if I had booked that trip for myself, it would have been 500 bucks. So I just lost a thousand dollars, which to them is like, it's a thousand bucks, whatever. And it's like, no, that's our thousand. That's for the business. Like, what are you talking about? And so, <laughs> and these are good people again, but it's just the different level of thinking. It's not their pocket, not their money, not their business. And so <laughs> you have to, build the right processes and things in to be able to manage that, I'd say is a really important part. 
Yeah. So even your executive team within your agency, you want to help them understand how you see things as, as the owner, as the founder of the agency, but you need to recognize that they're always going to be in different shoes than you are. And that's okay, but you need to operate with that understanding is what I hear you saying. And that's a really good story to, to bring that to life. All right. Number four, Eric, what do you think is the hardest part about agency life running a service-based business rather than just, as we said earlier, shipping a product? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all people, your people, people are unpredictable. So your own people are volatile, your clients are volatile. And so it's really a lot harder to build a system to build, you know, you have to build a company that is able to withstand the ebbs and flows of emotions, because it's not products are unemotional. If you're shipping products, it's product. And there's other issues that are people like you've got to deal with global sentiment and things like that, that hurt service businesses a lot more. And so you just have to build a business that has that flexibility back to gross margin. So you have some margin on things. It goes back to never losing a client ever. And like all these things that like, if you emphasize all that stuff, then you can, when there are, there is volatility, you're ready for it. And then just be ready to move quick. Like I, you know, on everything daily, keeping a pulse on the business daily because it can ship really quickly. And we're 10 years in, I've seen it many times or COVID was a good example, which is all of a sudden, boom, like everything's falling apart. Like overnight, that wasn't, you have to be ready for things like that to keep going. Absolutely. All right. Flip side of this as we round out the Fast Five, Eric, what do you think is the best part about agency life? Kind of the same thing. People. Like you get to work with great people, external, internal. Like it's fun. Like it's, you know, I always tell, remind our team, we're not curing cancer. You're like we have fun. Hopefully we'll market it one day. But like it's, it's a fun business. It tracks a cool type of person and it can be really fun mm-hmm. and allow for a lot of creativity, a lot of expansion. Uh, you don't need any CapEx for it too. That's a big part. You don't need to raise, mm-hmm. anyone that raises money or goes into debt in an agency, I'm like, don't do that. I know some people get stuck, but like run your business profit. You should not be going into debt in an agency. You should not be raising money for an agency. Mm-hmm. And so like Good. that is a lot of freedom too. Yeah. Solid advice. And I think that freedom is one of the things that I've heard over and over again from agency founders on this show that they're seeking. Sometimes certain things along the way in agency life feel like this actually isn't giving me the the freedom that I want to. Hopefully we're sharing some advice here that helps get that back and helps people reset their vision on why they started the agency in the in the first place. And freedom and autonomy is usually up there high on everyone's list. All right, Eric, as we round it out with our good shout, we want to give you the opportunity to give someone a shout out who's impacted your journey as an entrepreneur and agency founder. Could be someone personally, could be, you know, a digital mentor from afar. Who's impacted you that you want to shout out today? I mean, it was my dad's the biggest impact. He was an entrepreneur and like big part of my life. So definitely a shout out to him. Yeah. I thought you might go there. I know you've got those entrepreneurial roots. It was in your genes from early on, as I've heard a bit more about your journey. Well, Eric, you guys are a great example for other agencies looking to scale in good times, in bad times. You guys have seen it all. For anyone listening to this, a peer out there that wants to connect with you or the rest of the team at Hawk Media, what's the best way for them to reach out and stay connected with you? Yeah. Adder slash Eric Huberman on social media. Really easy to find. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. Uh, You are a great podcast host in your own right. Thank you for coming on the other side of the mic with me today on Agency Life. I really appreciate it, man. Appreciate you as well. Thanks for having me. 
You've been listening to Agency Life, and we hope you've been enjoying each and every episode. If so, you've probably got a friend who'd find the show valuable as well. Sharing a podcast with someone in your network is an easy way to add value and show someone that you're thinking about them. Somebody probably came to mind for you just now. Go ahead, shoot them a text with something like, hey, I've been listening to Agency Life, and I think you'd like this episode I was just listening to. They'll probably really appreciate it, and hey, we will too. And if you're looking for even more content to support your agency life journey, check out teamwork.com slash agency life. There you can search through past episodes, get access to the agency life newsletter and find additional video content to support and inspire you as you continue on this crazy roller coaster ride that is agency life. <laughs>